because then you are sort of limiting your own potential because of a, a what, a house, a car. This is one of the most popular plants in the world. It takes about three to four years to grow before producing berries, which are picked, washed, pulped, dried, and roasted to make coffee. Jorik, explain to me what Vakuli then is. Vakuli is a coffee company. We are a coffee brand in the Netherlands, Belgium, Germany. We are shortening the value chain, connecting consumers and farmers and working on, on specialty coffee, so on high quality coffee. But companies have been around for quite a while that are trying to make a difference in this industry and yet somehow it hasn't seemed to properly have worked yet. Where is it going wrong in your opinion? Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because it hasn't worked at all, even though since the 80s we've been talking about fair trade in coffee with Max Havelaar here in Netherlands being one of the first ones, maybe the first one. You know, what if this goes wrong? Yeah, worst case, I lost all my savings. I guess the biggest risk was having to apply for a job again. Yeah. Oh, I'm very bad with these kind of <laughs> taggy taglines. <laughs> Jorik, you're no stranger to the first question, so I'll get right into it. Are you happy? Um, yeah, very happy. What, in your opinion, is required to live a happy life? Purpose, mm. a good amount of fun, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, surrounding yourself with people you get energy from, because they, uh, they do or act in a way that uh, gives you energy, probably. Very often, uh, authentic people. Mm. Do you believe that we should chase happiness. Yeah, I think uh, you should work towards being happy all the time, right? And it's not a constant state. I think it's something you actively work on, so you should chase it. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned that for you, a part of being happy is purpose. Yeah. Would you say you're able to describe your purpose? Um, yeah, well, I think so. I mean, Wakuli's purpose, for sure. Uh, okay. And my personal purpose in there is to make sure that Wakuli becomes uh, the biggest it can be with my help until I'm, I'm needed. But I think that our purpose is uh, creating a more equitable world through coffee uh, by creating a win-win uh, between farmers and consumers, making sure that coffee is traded in a different way and that we make a positive impact by drinking uh, great quality coffee. Mm. For this podcast, I have a guiding research hypothesis that passion equals purpose. Now, you already mentioned that you have figured out at least part of your purpose. What is your opinion on my hypothesis? Passion equals purpose. Yeah. I'm not sure. Why? Um, I think that in the end, you can be very passionate about something, uh, but you need to also follow through. And I think then you you have purpose as well. So maybe special plus. Uh, Sometimes I to see the test the different responses. I switch between passion equals purpose and passion gives purpose. Yeah, oh, passion gives purpose. I think is a is a better hypothesis. Yeah. I would agree with that one. Okay. How would you describe your passion then? Um, my passion has always been, also in previous jobs, also during studies, about connecting people and bridging bridging worlds. Uh, and in our case, that became coffee and it became farmers, right? Mostly based in the global south and consumers mostly based in the global north here mm -hmm. in Europe. Um, so I think that's that passion, previously in hospitality and in other jobs, has always been the key to me. 
uh, because I think by connecting people, you create something that is uh, bigger than uh, than a one plus one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that synergy that we're trying to find here and that I've tried to find in the past as well is a passion I have yeah. generally bringing people together. Yeah. I'm curious, as uh, since now you're obviously putting that passion into practice through entrepreneurship in particular, what were your first encounters with entrepreneurship like? Um, well, very basic, because I think I was 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. I went for the first time I ran a small catering business uh, here in Amsterdam. Um, and I learned there that uh, you have to do a lot of things that you actually are not good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, I think, a great lesson because I found out the second time again that you find new things that you're again not good at. And that yeah. keeps being the same probably the moment you start doing a different business or being in a different a different sector. Um, so I think those were my first lessons. You have to do a lot of stuff you're not good at and you need to then find people that are better at it and, and try to uh, make sure that they want to work with you, right? Yeah. Um, for free in the beginning, very often, and, <laughs> and later yeah, down, yeah, hopefully, yeah. also as colleagues and, and being properly paid to pay their mortgage or rent, right? Yeah. At 19, that's quite a young age to start a company. What led up, what led to that decision to, at such a young age, start something? I think two reasons. One, uh, again, passion. Passion to bring people together and, and work on a very short value chain. So back then I worked on, on short value chains, now on long ones. Um, so it had a lot to do with the passion but also practically with the fact that I really liked working on something that I really believed in and I couldn't really find that anywhere else at that moment mm. didn't have the right qualifications probably maybe not the best network I'm not sure uh, but this uh, gave me the opportunity to do something I really love to do yeah um, yeah and coincidentally that wasn't entrepreneurship in hindsight yeah. didn't see it back then like that okay um, but yeah I think that's uh, that's why So explain to me what Vakuli then is. Vakuli is a um, coffee company. We are a coffee brand in the Netherlands, Belgium, Germany for these markets um, where we try to shorten or we are shortening the value chain, connecting consumers and farmers and working on, on specialty coffee, so on high quality coffee for consumers to pay a little bit more, mm-hmm. but to also have way better coffee in their, in their homes. Mm-hmm. And for farmers to have a more long-term, better outlook on the market, better income, and the possibility to uh, reinvest in their farms. Um, so, yeah, working on, on getting a, a quality product to the masses, mm-hmm. to have more people drink better coffee and more farmers, a better future. Why is this mission important to you? Uh, I've lived and worked for a few years in East Africa, South Asia, uh, as a consultant for coffee farmers, for another organization. Um, and saw there working on, on value chains of big coffee companies that uh, yeah, we were actually screwed in coffee and not particularly you and me, right? We're still drinking coffee on a daily basis. You spend four euros on a cappuccino at the moment uh, uh, when you walk into any city center. If I find a cheap one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but for most farmers, and there are over 10 million uh, and over 100 million people directly um, reliant on the coffee production, for them, it's often a loss-making exercise, or at least doesn't give them a, a proper income, uh, which I found very weird. So I think the moment one of my friends, a farmer in, in southwest Tanzania, um, 
was uprooting his coffee trees because he said, at least I can eat maize or corn, right? So let me grow corn because this is not a profitable business anymore. Well, I knew that he had a great quality coffee that we could value specifically because of how he produced it and what the coffee tastes like. Yeah. I thought, uh, this is not the world, at least not in coffee I want to live in. Yeah. So I moved from uh, yeah, uh, trying to assist farmers to better markets and, and finance to becoming part of this, uh, this value chain and this equation. I don't know how long at least fair trade's been around, but companies have been around for quite a while that are trying to make a difference in this industry. And yet somehow it hasn't seemed to properly have worked yet. No. Where is it going wrong in your opinion? Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because it hasn't worked at all, even though since the 80s, we've been talking about fair trade in coffee with Max Havelaar here in the Netherlands being one of the first ones, maybe the first one. Um, well, I believe that We've always focused on third-party certification as a means to sort of have a minimum level of income for farmers or in the case of Rainforest Alliance or others, some kind of benchmark on what coffee production should look like. But uh, we have never focused actually on decommoditizing the crop. So like we've done with or done, like it's always happened in wine or in other food products. In coffee, we've always seen coffee as a sort of a, a standard product, a standardized that tastes the same year round that you can stock up on, right? I mean, my grandmother used to have 12, 12 pack, 12 <laughs> yeah. kilos of coffee in her yeah. cellar that always tastes the same, a bit bitter, a bit bland. It is more for you to wake up or to be cozy together, yeah, gezellig yeah. in Dutch, yeah. right? But it's never been about the actual flavor of coffee. And mm. Big coffee, uh, big players in the market that sort of own the entire marketplace, right? They have made us believe that coffee should be about this, about like a dark roast that wakes you up and that makes you uh, come together and not about the coffee itself. So all these efforts to make a change always led to changing how commodity is traded and not about actually uh, uh, putting the farmer first, where we say, okay, this farmer produces X amount of coffee. Uh, it is in, in a typical terroir with a certain climate, with a certain type of coffee. And therefore you will like it because it tastes like a little bit like chocolate and nuts and blueberries and whatever. Mm. And you value it because of the producer uh, and not because of a, a third party logo or stamp. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. From here. How have you experienced within Vakuli the, the, essentially the element of getting people such as us in, in Europe here um, to become further invested in people that are in Africa. The reason why I ask is sometimes I have the idea as if even though we know they are struggling somehow because that seems so far away that it becomes harder for people to quote-unquote care. Yeah, uh, I agree and we see the same. Hmm. And I also don't think that the majority of our customers is that much more invested than before in farmers in Africa, Asia, or, or Latin America, I think they first go for a better taste. Yeah, exactly. And the excitement of that coffee can be on a daily basis. Mm. And I think that that's also our win, right? I yeah. mean, true flavor, we're trying to change this market by leveraging like a great tasting cup of coffee, mm. flavorful coffee that's objectively of a better quality. We're making sure that people can easily make impact uh, and are helping themselves at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the way out. So therefore also always, I mean, sustainable products or impactful products should have something else, right? Beyond impact in the long run, if you want to get people hooked because there's a big self-interest, which is not weird because you're consuming, what, 50 products a day, yeah, exactly. 30, 40 products a day. 
uh, they should or taste better or be better functioning or ha- should have something beyond impact. Otherwise, yeah. it becomes very complicated. Yeah. And luckily, coffee has this because it's, it has this quality trait that you will never find in any supermarket brand. Yeah. And sorry. No, no, go ahead. add to this? Yeah. Beyond flavor, in the longer run, I think you can leverage your relations with farmers around the world. We're getting people in from, from Congo, from DRC, yeah. uh, from, uh, from Rwanda, I mean, um, to talk to customers directly and to interact and for customers to learn more of where their coffee comes from and who produced it. And in the longer run, that might make our retention. So people keep on buying our products higher as well, right? Because in yeah. the longer run, you want to build a relationship. And, and being able to vote with your fork or with your cup of coffee and make a make an active decision there is nice, but it's first about taste. Yeah. Some people who are similar, or not anymore, but let's say similarly to me in this quarter life crisis situation, they may see entrepreneurship as a, a path towards freedom. I am of the belief, especially in the past few years, Uh, with the rise of sustainable companies that unless you are passionate for a specific topic, you won't be successful as an entrepreneur. What do you think about that? Well, I would hope that is the case. Okay. And I do believe that you can be more successful as an entrepreneur if you have an actual drive to change something and and that drive is real and concrete. but I'm not sure. Uh, I, I don't know how many, like you've got two types of entrepreneurs. No, you've got many types probably. You know better than I do now. <laughs> but I see two major, like two types. One type is someone who just wants to be an entrepreneur and wants to solve a problem and wants to therefore lead a company and might not want to work for someone else. And then it's the other person that sees a problem that really hurts them and therefore become an entrepreneur. And I'm not sure if A is better than B or B is better than A. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, best if you're able to combine those or yeah. if you have someone who's and a born entrepreneur in a way that he or she works that way and found a problem they actually care about um but if yeah I so hope. which of the two are you i'm more b than a even though it's not the first time i'm yeah. i'm uh i started my own company i mean the last one was very small um it was about the problem in coffee and if i could have solved it by consulting and still li- still living in Africa or Asia, I would have done that. Yeah. Uh, if I saw a real effect that was bigger than the potential effect of Makuli now, I would have stayed in my previous job. Because I don't mind working for someone else, even though I love the freedom and I love the fact that this is really 100% what I believe in. But only for that reason I started a company, because yeah. I really believe that we needed something different. You obviously have a co-founder that's helping you in, in building all of this. Yeah, absolutely. How He's important. doing more than half of the work. <laughs> How important is having a co-founder in this, or, or for you, uh, let me put it that way. For me, extremely. And I tend to believe, having spoken with uh, a few founders, but I'm curious about your opinion, mm. for anyone, it is mm. good to have some kind of checks and balances mm. in a company and especially if you're, I mean, we started this when we were 28, right? 28, 29, uh, even, even better probably because you don't have that experience. So at least you have a sparing partner yeah. on a daily basis. For us, it works extremely well. Um, we joked the other day that if we would start ever start a new company, we do that together again, even though that goes against my belief that we first need to find a problem that I actually care about. But, yeah. I mean, there are a few probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but generally, uh, for me, I could have never done it without Lucas, my co-founder, yeah. uh, and the amazing team in the middle of nowadays, course, yeah. nowadays, of course. But uh, yeah, absolutely. You asked my opinion on it. Yeah. Um, I believe it depends on the type of project. If I take a look at my own project, for example, it's not necessarily a business I'm trying to make extremely profitable, but you know, the dream is there. There is a business model. Uh, there is a business <laughs> model, exactly. Um, this particular project works better when I'm alone. Yep. Um, but I tend to agree that if you are building at least a brand that sells to customers with products, it's good to have a sparring partner. Ideally, someone who isn't exactly inclined the same way I would be. Um, so for example, exactly. I would need someone on finance help there or, or tech, for example, something like that. You know, I'm, no. I think I'm pretty marketing content oriented, which covers a large part. So that would be my choice as well. And in, uh, in the last podcast, mm. like, have you seen more successful people with a co-founder or, uh, or single founders? I, whew, um, it depends on what you classify success, of course. Well, uh, you, you, you can classify <laughs> it uh, you want. Uh, I have seen, oh, I think, I'm not going to name any, but I think that those that I have spoken to, the ones with co-founders at least seem to be happier. Oh, interesting. And like they can have a sparring partner. Yep. There are, however, also people who are very successful what they do and only because they are alone from the people I've spoken yep. to at least. Um, but that would be the observation that I've made at least. Yep. And again, I only talked to them at one moment's time. So I don't know, it could be that we just caught them on an off day. But it was interesting to me. Yeah. Very interesting. So maybe not more successful, but at least happier. If you have exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's like you don't now. have to do it all alone, I guess. That's what... And especially being a CEO, right? Or, or there's often this, I think, misconception that when you are in that, that position, you're not allowed to show weakness because that will translate towards your employees. And at least if you have a co-founder, you can split that sort of not wanting to show weakness among each other because you yeah. always have to be confident. Yeah, I can imagine it can be super lonely if you do this by yourself. Exactly. On the topic of confidence... How what how would you <laughs> would you describe yourself as a confident person, yeah. in in regards to entrepreneurship or just in general? In in general, uh, pretty yeah. How I, important I, is that in making a business a success? Well, I I do believe that doubt is very healthy. Uh, okay. Just not too much. Right. Because at some point you need to move forward, right? And nobody knows. I mean, this morning I was on a we were on a on a team call. Uh, with the leadership team, so with my co-founder and with Lisa, our CMO, there came a question like, okay, how do you see this projection? And we just didn't know, mm. but also not knowing and being clear about that. So yeah, yeah, we have a lot of doubts about this projection, but this is the best we can do and now we need to move forward. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's very important, right? In the end, that you are able to move forward and keep pace as a team, keep pace as a company, uh, even when you doubt. Uh, but if the doubt is too big, of course, you first need to find a way uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, to, to solve that. Yeah. But the starting, especially in the beginning, starting with a lot of doubt, I think is very difficult. Yeah. Even though sometimes, I mean, everyone has those moments, yeah. but you should just get over them and, uh, and find a way to, uh, to solve it. One essential point you mentioned on is, is starting. And obviously, you've now started two things even. 
what was the conversation with yourself like that eventually led to you actually starting Vakuli? Like that part leading up to it. Do you remember, was there something that, that changed or what made you take action? Yeah, so we did that in small steps. We, before Vakuli, uh, the original company, Vakuli Market, had a different business model, still solving this similar or actually the same issue. Uh, but we took a lot of time uh, in the, the run-up to, to starting Wakuli on, on finding uh, what we wanted to do exactly and what the different steps were to test if it might be a success. Well, in hindsight, that was still very, very limited. But back then, we thought we were doing that pretty okay. And I, I guess that our main uh, point, I remember the moment I quit my last job, was because we ran a semi-successful with the really semi-successful Kickstarter. Successful enough that we got the money and we could import our first container of coffee from East Africa. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that was also the moment that we said, okay, but now we promised people a product, now we need to make this product. Mm. And if we want to make this product, one of us needs to quit his job. Mm. Uh, and that was me first, because I was living in East Asia at that moment, uh, or South Asia. Um, so I couldn't run it from there. So I quit my job in 2019 and uh, moved back to uh, moved back to Amsterdam. And yeah. that was decided. Yeah. And so I still you, doubted it a few times yeah. after. But, yeah. <laughs> so you then essentially sort of took that jump. What was the thought of like, or was there even a thought that, you know, what if this goes wrong? Oh, many times. And what, what, what makes you keep going then? Well, not wanting to sound arrogant. Um, Please but, do. <laughs> but, but I always thought there will be another job. There will be another vacancy that I like enough to get up every morning. Yeah. So yeah, worst case, I lost all my savings. Um, and it weren't that much. Like I didn't have yeah, many yeah, savings. Yeah. So I, I would have lost all my savings and it would have set me back maybe a year. Uh, and it was a very stressful first year, not earning a euro and like seeing, yeah seeing everything evaporate that you build in the previous years but i guess the biggest risk was having to apply for a job again yeah and i mean i don't mind working for anyone else no so the risk was high but not extremely high would you say being into your journey now four years right three four, four yeah almost four years four years are there downsides to chasing your passion yeah Absolutely. Well, maybe not your passion, because I hope I will always chase my passion. But are there downsides to chasing your passion through entrepreneurship? Yeah, uh, you give up a lot. I mean, I'm, we're almost four years on the way and I still haven't had like a week or two where I could totally disconnect. Hmm. Also because I don't want to, because it feels like your baby hmm. uh, and you want to be involved. So that's also it also has to do with your own planning. But it really is a state of mind as well. Yeah. Um, it has cost me at least some type of like friendships that I had before that I that right now uh, weren't working because of the distance and, and how busy we are at the moment to build this. Um, you get a lot back, right? I get a lot back from the team, a lot back from our from our partners in origin countries. Um, so you get back a different type of friendship and family, but it's I remember working for uh, for my previous employer. I, I could shut off. Like I had weekends mm. where I really didn't think about work. Exactly. Uh, oh, this has been four years. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But I assume, I think it's an obvious question. You would, you're willing to take all those downsides for the upsides that it offers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to 
I mean, I would do it again. Exactly. Yeah. Because I think it's the, the best job. I've got the best job in the world. Yeah. Obviously, the podcast is called the quarter life crisis. Would you say you had a quarter life crisis? Honestly, I'm sorry for the story in the podcast, but I don't think so. No, that's okay. Um, I've been lucky to, uh, and that's also a bit who I am, but I've never really passed. Hmm. I thought of, okay, what's next? It just all went from, from one step to the other, from studying to moving abroad, uh, live, working through my first jobs. Um, so maybe I should have like <laughs> stopped for a second yeah, and yeah. said, okay, and what's next? And what yeah. should I be doing? Uh, but a crisis, no, I can't really call it a crisis. No, that's okay. Because that actually makes it more interesting to try and understand why not, I guess. So one of the main points behind this whole crisis situation is trying to figure out what path to take in a world of almost endless possibilities. Yep. Do you have any advice when it comes to trying to figure out that path? Yeah, don't wait and see, but try stuff. Hmm. Um, if it's not the best path, quit after a year i mean don't be too afraid that what you choose you choose forever especially in these times right you call them endless opportunities or endless possibilities i think that really changed in one generation right if you would ask our parents it yeah. looked very different back then oh, or our for grandparents sure. for sure so don't be afraid that you choose the uh, something where you will only learn what you don't want to do yeah or what you do like and want to take from one job but combine with something else yeah so go for it i mean i guess that's that's uh, it's maybe easier said than done, but don't doubt yourself too much. Yeah. Try it out. Learn. Learn what to what you want next yeah. time. Yeah, I, I, I see that. I th or I think it usually comes combined with the setting yourself back. And especially when people start new jobs, they're very quick to also scale up their life as a result of that very quickly. And that's where it becomes hard, right? Then you're a year into it, year and a half realize ah maybe not what i wanted after all but at this point i've got a bigger house a bigger car a certain apartment that you're living in um did you ever struggle with that particular situation or no mm. but i've never been very materialistic so no. i still live on 37 square meters exactly. small apartment uh, no expensive car yeah. uh, etc so that really helps um so maybe then, and I think it's it's a good advice that you're just giving right now, maybe in combination with your personal lifestyle, make sure that you don't, uh, you're not that dependent on the income you currently have and you can take a step back, right? Exactly. Maybe again, easier said than done, depends also on your fa family situation, etc. But give yourself space to find out what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, or be able to scale down. Uh, otherwise, it becomes a golden cage. And I see enough people uh, stuck in that cage. Uh, yeah. I think that's really a waste. Fair. Because then you are sort of limiting your own potential because of uh, what? A house? A car? Mm. I mean. Yeah. Very nicely formulated. <laughs> um, I, ha I was interested, from your perspective, obviously, what do you think needs to change in the world in order to improve it? So, uh, that's a big question. Yeah. Um, well, where do we start? <laughs> no, I guess that... What's maybe most... What speaks to you maybe most, I guess? I think it would be... Um, it would be great if we create a little bit more of a level playing field in terms of access to information. Mm. And... Um, making sure that everyone can make a, a sincere decision, not being 
fucked over by whoever, right? And that yeah. can be in some places government. In other places, mostly private business and companies telling you what you should or shouldn't be doing uh, or what you can and cannot be. Um, so I believe, well, if we want to yeah, make this world a better place, mm-hmm. uh, make sure that everyone has uh, fair access to good info, good information. Okay. Um, because information is key, right? In making decisions. And in the end, you making a decision and us, a society making decisions, uh, well-informed decisions, I think changes this world. Hmm. I have a new recurring segment. You've probably seen the jar on the table in which I ask my community members to um, write down a bunch of different questions, something that's troubling them in particular. Um, and I obviously wrote them all down on a paper, so I'd like you to take one. I already thought, why do we have this jar on the table? Well, this is a nice new segment. Yeah, yeah. Just take anyone? Yeah, just take anyone. Cool. What is your motto in life? From at Nele Berg. Nele. Yeah. Nele? Yeah. yeah, cool. What is your motto in life? Oh, I'm very bad with these kind of <laughs> taggy taglines. <laughs> um, but maybe going back to what we said before, right? On, on having a quarter life crisis is um, maybe a bit of a startup you want, but try and feel fast, learn, mm. try again. Not my life motto, but I think a nice one for this podcast, maybe. It's just like, keep on, just feel fast, just keep moving. Feel fast, keep moving, try, and and don't be afraid that people will uh, look at you differently because maybe that's like, I find some of the most interesting people working here, I find them all very interesting. But like some of my most interesting colleagues, they've actually tried a lot of different things and just they, and they failed. Almost everyone interesting, maybe also in your life has at least failed once or twice, right? Because that makes people having an edge and and an authentic and interesting story because they've sometimes also made their own decision and can acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, It's interesting that you mentioned, especially that part, if I, that relates to me on a personal level, having watched my parents try once, giving it their heart and soul and it also failed. As a result, they'll crush their spirit, which is, I guess, maybe why I ask also a lot of entrepreneurs in general to understand what keeps them going. Because as you said, most entrepreneurs have failed before at something else. So, yeah, what then, why does that not crush your spirit, I guess? Well, I'm not sure if it doesn't. I believe that for some people, and I've seen this personally as well, it's been a, a one-time thing, right? And it's, mm. it's crushed your spirit. And it's also um, let them believe that entrepreneurship wasn't anything for them anymore. Mm. I mean, that happened as well. But most people try again. You're right. Um, but I believe because if you're wired this way, yeah, you can't do anything about it because you want to succeed in the longer run. And you believe that you found maybe a different angle to try again. Yeah. And... Um, at the same at the same time, I mean, I, I think people in generally generally have like great resilience, not only in entrepreneurship but around the world. I mean, talk to uh, talk to farmers on Israel Island in Congo. There's some real resilience, right? Um, and they don't have time for a quarter life crisis. <laughs> they don't have time for a quarter life crisis, and the crisis happened already way earlier, very often. Yeah, um, yeah. But 
I guess that people are more resilient than we think, and we try. We get up again, and we try. And and most people try multiple times, right? Yeah. To reach it. Some people uh, will try their entire lives, but at least you try. I yeah. guess that's the most important. I'm at my final question already, and that question is: What does the future hold for Yorick? Who knows? Um, no, I I hope to be here at Wakuli as long as I add value, and I'm the best person to sit at the, the chair that I'm sit, currently sitting in. Um, but not longer than that. I think that's also uh, very important to understand uh, when you are uh, when you're needed and when not, mm-hmm. and in what capacity, right? I hope to make this, uh, and I expect to make this the biggest uh, coffee company of the next generation. People who care about the rules and care about their uh, care about flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, after that, I'm gonna grow my own food or drink wine, maybe, because at some point I would love to uh, disconnect. From, mm. uh, from everything here but that's in the far future that's and uh, I, yeah that's a romantic <laughs> but but like romantic in a in a healthy way i know yeah. what it is to uh, to grow something and how what a hardship it is how difficult it is right yeah but i would love to try myself at some point to yeah. uh yeah step into uh, into that game it's definitely not going to be in this country then i think no, though, right? it isn't. <laughs> no. I, I think in this country uh yeah <laughs> we're producing too much already yeah, exactly or in this country but in the right way but let's not get fair into enough. that now fair enough thank you very much for your time and your story i appreciate it thanks ryan for coming by thank you